Good evening, one and all. This is Metal V. Um, bit of a bit of a, a, a shock request. A couple of days go by email. Um, my editor got in touch with me and asked me if I'd like to talk to one of the godfathers of grind, uh, Mr. Shane Embry, reflecting on a a book that you're about to release, mate. Yeah, we've been working on uh, this book called Life and the Grind Death over the past couple of years. Um, a friend of mine, well, journalist, uh, Dave Everly, came down at various times of the year to the Napalm Death House, as I call it, where me and Danny, well, it's my kind of man cave now, but actually, it's not, you know, since I have my family, but that's where all my stuff is, and, and uh, just basically uh, picked his selection of questions and started from the beginning, I suppose. So when you say, when you say start from the beginning, I mean, I know you've done a little bit of social media regarding... Um, the book and doing a little bit of self-promotion on socials and stuff like that but what was the point where you, it became uh, um, something that you'd thought about um, and then put into action or were you kind of coaxed you know given a bit of a shove and said hey Shane you should put your your life in, into words um, well for, over the years I would laugh and joke oh yeah it'll go down in the book you know I'll talk about some stupid silly shit I did whatever a long time ago um, and that was just part of my humour I suppose I guess for want of a better word um, and then I, during the pandemic I ended up doing because it was a crazy time in general for everybody I did um, a publishing deal with uh, AMF Publishing which is Andy Farrow who manages Paradise Lost and Devon Townsend and stuff which I would never have probably done in some ways other than it would just seem to way of bringing some income in from my family but also in a way because I was getting into different kinds of music I always have been I wanted like another outlet of trying to um, push some of that other kind of music you know I do like experimental stuff and whatever you know and, okay. um, and he, he just said well would you be interested in doing a book I'm like well I kind of always sort of half joked about it as a sort of, and then you realise in some ways or I realise I suppose at that particular point that it had been like 35 odd plus years really of uh, moving towards where, uh, wherever that finale may be, I suppose. Um, and I thought, well, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, have, I have tales I can tell, stories to tell, but also um, where I come from is quite unique in, unique maybe in some ways. So I thought, well, yeah, I'll go for it. Why not? You know, okay. you know, it's like, you know, it's like, why not? <laughs> really, you know. One of the things that you mentioned in the intro to the book, Shane, was reflecting back on your life's path. Was putting that into words difficult? Um, I think we didn't. We kind of finished the the, 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 the actual draft of the book, and I just, but I just felt that because probably because I'd been um, I'd reached a bit of a melting point, um, which happens to a lot of people. Um, that it just seemed uh, I don't know. I, I, maybe I was a little bit. I, mean, I don't. People who've read the book. Fine with what's in there. I, I, I just didn't. I didn't want to present myself as just purely. Well, I wanted to present many, many sides of me, I suppose. Um, and uh, because I recently crashed and burned, or whatever you call it, you know, I felt it was just important to say, well, this is kind of what it is, and you know, um, judge it for judge it how you want to judge it, really. But um, it's just, I've always tried to be 
They always said that famous where your heart you sleep kind of thing, you know. So you yeah, yeah. keep sort of what I am is you see what what you see is what you get really. Yeah. Um, and that's as any, for anybody pers- as a person, it's you try to present yourself uh, from different well, from many angles. I just thought it was a little strange. I'm not quite sure exactly where I was 100 percent at that point, but I felt like I wanted to sort of wanted to about justifying it, and it just gets well. Yeah, it's just kind of what it, what it is. Was it cathartic to, to, to um, look back on where you came from, how you were formed and what you are today? Well, you, you, you do. I, I did get to, to this point um, during the whole lockdown thing when I started, uh, I suppose, at home with my family. I, I, normally I'd be on tour six, seven, years, seven months a, a year. Um, and so I, was, I felt myself changing during that period, and then not seeing my, my mom, or my mom passed away now, but, but the, the point that I didn't get to see her for a while, and I started to look back on how I grew up. Um, and you realise that, uh, I don't know, because you, you, you're, 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 you're in the middle of it all, you, you, you're just being, well, you're living your, your life. To its fullest, for sure. Mm-hmm. But you look back and you go, "Well, oh well, you know, um, it's quite interesting sort of journey that I can't quite believe in some ways, really." So, be- so being at home for for an extended period of time, I remember talking to Barney recently, and he said that the pandemic, like the album had been written, throws in the in the jaws of defeatism had been written. So you weren't writing any material that was reflecting the pandemic, you know, and it gave him a bit of time to just kind of chill. But you sound like it, um, it was very different. Was that because you were not on the road and touring and all that kind of um, stuff? Yeah, I think so. And um, I found it extremely difficult for a while. Um, and Johnny, our guitarist, likewise. And we we just kind of. My wife was like, I remember. I remember actually the day cause we just finished the campaign musical destruction tour in Europe. Yeah. And I think uh, two days later, I purchased a synthesizer uh, in Bristol or near Bristol. And it hadn't fully kicked in, but I was going in to pick it up. My wife was losing the marble. She's like, well, you can't go out of the house and blah, blah. I said, I've got to get this bloody synthesizer. I'm going. You know, and, um, and of course, then you, you know, on the way back, you, know, like, you realise that things were shutting down and stuff. But um, uh, luckily, uh, the house that Danny and me have from our old napalm death days when the four of us were together living there it's, it's there and I, I could in lockdown travel from where my family is there's oh, 10 miles it's not far you're getting here to do it I suppose in a way uh, but I, I just jumped into making music you know I mean I've, I have lots of stuff I've had lots of stuff for a while for the, for the next napalm album whenever that is but I really get into my electronic projects and, I, and it was it was totally therapeutic for me I was sort of losing myself there now a little bit and then of course, strangely enough, I mean, I've been married for 15, 16 years, but when you when you look at this time I've been away, half that I've been away on tour, yeah. and you, then you then you, you, it was great to, to be with the kids, but it, it was it was also probably for, and for many people you really like we're for, forced to be with each other more than we normally were. Not forced, that's the wrong way of expressing it, but all of a sudden it was like. She was having problems with me being there. I was having a bit of problems, and and it was just like the dynamics had changed. Yeah, yeah. So, but then, but then you become kind of accustomed to it. I think, and then I think when I came, when we finally started touring again, um, things were happening certainly with me, where I was, uh, uh, I'd get, I started to get into the, 
but they call it a Jungian, a Jungian analysis and individuation, I think they call it, which is more about looking at yourself and why you are the way you are and why you react in certain ways and um, being a creative, as my, my, my doctor friend likes to call me, is can be a good, it's what you do, but it's also the way you are emotionally with other people and things like that. So all, yeah. these, all this thing was just coming in. Yeah. And I was like, this is, this is bizarre, you know, and um, so yeah, the, 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 the book sort of seemed to make sense to sort of go, okay, well, at this point now, let's, let's look back on how I got here, really, <laughs> I guess, you know. Well, what, uh, one of the things that did bring you here, um, aside from tonight and, and playing, was, you know, your um, legacy of Napalm Death. Um, let's have a break. And pick a napalm song for us, and tell us why you've picked it and intro it. Um, well, we can start off with a track off the last album called um, "Amoral," actually. Great fucking song. Which is, uh, you know, uh, it's a strange turn of turn, many turn events. I and mean, I recently got to meet Jazz Coleman, Killing Joke, um, who I love. Um, an interesting character. That track is, in a way sort of inspired by Killing Joke but it also goes back further than that because Napalm Death before Scum were a more mid-paced Anakin kind of punk band and Amoral represents that period of time for me too okay. uh, and one of my best friends is Nicholas Bullen who formed Napalm Death um, I'm not sure I'm allowed to say I'm not going to swear too heavy but, not, but uh, the second Napalm album if, if he was remained in the band was going to be called Shit of the Earth of course, that's in the, in the song. Yeah, right. So, whatever that means, yep. <laughs> that's that. Beautiful. Yeah.
One of the things that I, I mentioned before we're doing this interview is you've got a, a massive legacy, which I want to ask you about later. But what would, what are you now, 55, 56? What would 56-year-old Shane Embry say to 15-year-old Shane Embry? Uh, well, probably to to um, maybe take heed of, the, of some of your friends' advice along the way. Because I, I saw, I, I mean, I, it's kind of strange. I mean, when I when I did join Napalm, I was like, I didn't drink beer and all. I was very reserved, kind of shy, shy and almost scared to leave the village because I'm from a very small village. Uh-huh. And uh, Jeff from Carcass always laughs about this wooden tail when I was going on tour of Sweden. And we were scheduled to go and I just, I just was afraid to leave and I'd never been out of the country. Yeah. And, uh, and Dig from here, he called out, I don't think I even, I don't think I even talked about this in the book, I think I might have forgot it. Um, and then Dig from here, he said, look, you know, we're going to go to the buddy Swedish tour today. My mum just said something, oh no, she said something really countryish, and Jeff always loves that quote when he likes to give me a humorous dig. He'll bring that up. But uh, but then of course you go out and onto the road, but I, I, I don't know, I would have, I don't know if I would have told him to do anything, particularly at that point, when I, once, I, once, I, once, once I joined Napalm and moved to Birmingham, I was like, I was totally in the, in the, um, the throes of where, what I wanted to to do and be, I guess. One thing that um, Barney mentioned on the doco, the YouTube doco that's that's floating around, and, you know, he talked about jumping at the chance to be asked to sing for his favourite band. And you actually mentioned that, I think, in your intro. You know, you know, one of your biggest regrets was not joining Napalm earlier, and albeit, you know, only a year or two earlier. And I, I asked him, does he still feel like he's... A, you know, he's a part of his favourite band. Do you feel like that, or is it just it's the way it is now? No, I, I, there's still. It was weird because uh, you know I mentioned Nicholas Bullen just now, but I, mean, I, I recently went to see the Melvins with him, and, we, and it's kind of I, I still find it bizarre because he's the guy that I went to see at the Mermaid in '86. You know, with Nick and with uh, Mick and Justin, and they're the band that blew my mind. But there's, he's there, and I'm here. But Napalm is very important. I mean, and I, and I, I like to think I'm trying to move the band forward in some ways, but also adhere to the spirit of Napalm Death. Yeah. The early Napalm Death as well. Yeah. It's really important to me to, to have that. Um, and yeah, I regret not joining in between the, uh, the, the A and B, even though I was, I was with them when they recorded it side A but I think then I, was, I often say well then I'd have to be the guitarist and I'll have to bass I think yeah. live anyway yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was just we were so young you know and it was just like you know it was like yeah, they asked me and I, Nick asked me I said yeah I'm up for it went back to Jimmy the bass players at the time played him Practice What You Preach and a couple of other tracks which later appeared on From Enslavement mm-hmm. and then somehow went back to the village to whatever was going on in our lives because there's no internet or anything about that yeah. of course so it was the track track Tape trading, the odd yeah. the odd phone call, you know, from Mickey and mm. whatever Mick was up to, and I think you know, and then time just kind of elapsed, you know, and then uh, Justin jo- uh, joined Heather David, and yeah, I mean, what can you uh, depending on? I, I don't know if everyone's like this, but you know, uh, there was a path that you, you, you take, and for me, it, it, it was always to find the most extreme thing in whatever. Yeah. Um. And right. I, I want I want I want to saw Napalm. It was like that was it. Mm-hmm. And so it's just not. I don't think it is. It, 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 it certainly isn't just the way it is now. It's. It's. Uh, you, know, you can get frustrated about certain things, um, but that's just 
differences of personality. You have to go, okay, well, I feel this and I feel that. A lot of times I'm learning and keep on trying to learn is it's all about communication. Sometimes with bands, what does unfortunately happen is you forget to talk to each other. Yeah. Yeah. That's coming back round again, I think. Okay. Not, it never ever 100% went away. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as you get older, you go, well, that's no point bringing that subject up, otherwise he's going to get pissed off about it. We're going to yeah. have a bloody scrap about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then sometimes it's, it's, it is about the communication and, and all together at once and stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's it's a, it, it's a strange turn of events that uh, a good one. I mean, through Dame Pong, that's going to be many things, including a wife and a family. You know, so. tell us why I picked it. We'll play it and um, come back. Well, we can take we can choose practice what you preach from from uh, from Primitive Declaration album, okay. which is the song I played. Uh, the then bass player Jim Whiteley after Nick Bullen asked me to join for the first time mm-hmm. and I got rewarded with some beans on toast and, <laughs> <laughs> and that was a cold uh, I think good English breakfast yeah uh, which is good from Jim because Jim wouldn't give it, he, he wouldn't give you much food really. but um, <laughs> yeah so I guess that's it Jim yeah. alright yeah Because you were just talking about um, what napalm means to you and, you know, the extremity of it. And it's funny you say that because Barney, when I asked him what is his and napalm's death mission statement, I'm going to read it to you. And he said, the music of napalm death and the ideas, it's like running into a war to make the whole experience of what it should be for people. Napalm death is everything all at once, all the time. What's Shane Embry's mission statement on now the books out and also Napalm? Um, well, I think um, it's, it's the challenge, really. Musically challenge. I mean, because obviously Napalm's known from, uh, for its uh, shorter songs. But, to, but to, to, to move forward while still remain, remaining true to the nucleus of it, I guess. Um, but it is an experience that has to be, it, it, it escalates in chaos, I think, I find, from the beginning to the end of a gig. And there's many variations of that chaos, you know, because it's not all about just playing fast, but there certainly is the intent, it has to have that intensity and that um, that feeling of leaving you out of breath. Gold. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. 
What do you want Shane Embry's legacy upon the world to be? Uh, well, that's a, always a tricky one because I think certainly for a long, long, long time, uh, besides Nate Vaughan, did so many other projects and it, I, it's evident that crazy music is, is um, something I have to do. It's something I, 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 I don't choose it in a way. I have to do it. It's, it, it's necessary. Uh, for me, if, 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 if I go too long without creating some sort of music, so I go nuts, and the wife knows I go nuts. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, it's going to be hopefully nice. You know, that people, because uh, they've been watching documentaries about the residents and Frank Zappa and stuff like this, and now they, and they kind of moved through their kind of musical endeavours, I suppose. But out of all the chaos again from Napalm and the life I've been lucky enough to lead through Napalm, I also have two, two amazing children, mm-hmm. and. Uh, that's, that's, that's the legacy, really. Okay. I think, to see what is going to come from them. Okay. In whatever endeavour. Amazing. Um, do you want to pick a, one final song? Actually, it'll be two. It'll be one now, and tell us why, and we'll come back. I think let's pick Green Killing from oh, Diatribes. Because it's an interesting, interesting small story on Green Killing. Mitch had this massively long piece of music, great escalating riffs, uh, which he I think he used... But, but anyway, we got. But we got to this point where then it kicks into the beginning of Greek Killing. Yeah. I said, "Why don't you start the bloody song there?" Yeah, yeah. And all this mad shit at the beginning. Yeah. They say that was something else, uh-huh. and we did. And then that was Greek Killing, you know. And of course, was I mean, like, I mean, to me, it's just it's, it was. Some people thought it was a bold move, but I thought it was an interesting move, mm. you know. And the, the, the now years later, people are like, oh man, those albums are like. They're quite too awesome. magic, yeah, but, but sometimes it really confused a lot of people at the time. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that, but we were just really fucked, trying to just follow in our hearts. But uh, that song in particular was always uh, good. And uh, another side note is like me and Mitch got tell- terribly drunk the day before we did the video, and um, it was. It was and, uh, I don't know what we argued about. I mean, we never fought. It wasn't even a fight. But I ended up with a black eye. And so that was true. We did the video. If you look closely, you'll see a black one. <laughs> there you go. Um, from Die Tribes, great killing, no palm.
you the man you are today and would you do anything differently um well i mean again without jumping into my kind of sort of psychological kind of trip it's like um i felt i actually feel that mickey by by, by giving the opportunity to play with napalm i was taken from that small kind of safe home mm-hmm. into the world mm-hmm. which is the necessary step that we all have to make really um, so Napalm through Napalm it opened my world to like a network of friends and experiences and would I do anything differently I, well I don't know would I I mean you know of course you sit there going oh I wish I'd came the beer as much as I did you know perhaps but um, I don't know I, I, I mean I've, I've enjoyed it, all of it really I think um, but of course, I'm at that point now where it's about like where, where, where I'm moving forward for the rest of, of my life, really. You know, and uh, trying to balance that. Yeah. Because I never, I never imagined a family and kids. You know, and uh, so that's that, that's that, that's that's something that what I did start to learn by not go, not being on tour constantly was to try and quite enjoy being at home. But of course, it's how you juggle those too, really. So, um, but uh, I don't think I would have done anything be different I'm just I'm just uh, I'm also happy that I have uh, a family really. well I, I want to say that I am grateful for your legacy and as I said to Barney as well because I mean you are a part of it but you look at sold out shows like this and the impact that you've made on my life and Sandy's life and, and people who follow you and love you 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 know you People throw and bandy things like Godfather of Grind and all this kind of stuff around. But I want to thank you for everything that you've given me and your fans in Australia for, for by releasing the book and everything that Napalm has done. Shake your hand. Do you want to pick one more song and we'll finish up? Um, let me think. Um, so I go for Suffer the Children. Yep. I'm going to like my little side notes. This was actually written by Mickey Harris on a two-string guitar in his bedroom. <laughs> his mum and dad screaming at him, but they turned that down. down. And I thought, you, you know, there you go. Perfect. Crazy guy, but a genius at writing songs. <laughs> Great ending. Thank you very much. It's yeah. been a pleasure. Thank you, mate. Cheers. 
possible.